I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Gee! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. After 10 long years, Frank Lampard acknowledges the Lampardian transition. A quick-fire brace at the snooker, picking apart the logic of an MMA merchant's hatred of football because it's too easy and the goals are too big. A frankly stunning development in the world of Formai Sinzing. A long-overdue appreciation of the giant furry fluorescent balls used for indoor five-a-side. The real hero of AFCON 2024 so far, and the most you'd run through a brick wall for the manager of all time. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcast. This is football cliches. Hello everyone, welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry, this is the Midweek Adjudication Panel, and of course, my panellists are Charlie Eccleshare, how's it going? Very well, thank you. And David Walker, how are things? Yeah, very good. Good to have you. Right, um, something straight away, something from Taibi's tracksuit, who wants to pick up on something we discussed uh, on Tuesday's pod, which is about whether a manager talking about whether you'd, if you'd offered them a point beforehand, they would have taken it. He says, in chess, one player offers a draw to the other. If accepted, the game ends. If refused, the game continues. Oh. But not they don't they don't offer a draw before they've started, right? Surely that doesn't not. happen, does it? No, that's nonsense. So yeah, I, I I read that the first time. I thought that, that was what he meant. No, no, you, yeah, obviously you can offer a draw midway through a game of chess if you if you think that's where it's going. But yeah, that's not the same thing, is it? I kind of would like to know more about this. Is the person offering the draw the person who's in the lead, but is sort of thinking I'm going to guard against a comeback here and just take the draw? Because surely, surely the person if you're not winning, offering the the opponent the draw would be futile. <laughs> No, nah, I'm all right, thanks. It's quite an interesting one that psychologically, like you're my, you're gonna be very suspicious, aren't you? If someone offers you a draw, you may think, why are they offering me a draw? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit gets a bit pokery, doesn't it? Um, should have done our research on this one, perhaps. Um, but uh, I don't know why I thought Charlie would just know. Charlie just knows stuff, and he didn't know this one. That's annoying. Sorry, yeah, I don't really yeah. play chess. No, but it definitely can't be a pre-game thing. Of course, they don't do that. What's the point of playing chess if you no rubbish? Um, well, I do like the idea of introducing that in football. The the idea of after sort of an hour, which you do sort of see. I've said this before, and games that are often aren't very good is when a draw suits both teams, and you get to about an hour, and it's one-one, and it's like, yeah, we've. We're both sort of fine with this. Neither of us are going to make attacking subs. I, it, un, it's obviously not official, but you kind of get the sense at that point. It's like, yeah, should we just just go for the draw? I don't think it would enhance football personally. Don't can't see the purists going for it. Keezy wouldn't like it. That's that's what I'm saying. You know, when in chess, if you uh, want to give in, you knock your king over. Like you just sort of knock it over on the board. Uh, <laughs> well, you do that with your yeah, captain. Or yeah, something. the manager could just walk on and push over the captain. <laughs> That's it. We submit. <laughs> literal Dave going full literal in the opening moments of this podcast. Uh, before we start, my mandatory uh, call out for people who want to come to Football Clichés Live. There are tickets still available for Birmingham and Dublin, I believe. All the others are sold out. Birmingham is at the Old Rep on Friday the 1st of March. Dublin, Liberty Hall on Tuesday the 5th of March. Go to myticket.co.uk. Anybody else who wants to come to the other nights, they're sold out. But if you want to snap up a spare, just drop me a line and I'll put you on my little spreadsheet. I've got a little spreadsheet going. Not not black market, 
just um, just you know marrying tickets with people who want them in the lead up to the event. Right, let's adjudication panel. We're doing a midweek one because we had so much good stuff, and we kick off with this. Perhaps already the peak of the episode. Who knows? The latest guest on the Stick to Football podcast was a certain Mr. Frank Lampard. 74 very interesting minutes and all sorts of things, reflecting on his career so far as a player and a manager. And Gary Neville starts to wrap the whole thing up. But Jamie Carragher has something he needs to ask. You, you must be aware, obviously, when, when you're managing, you do your interviews and you do that thing where you laugh and then go serious. Yeah, I'll say it. Uh, I don't want to say it. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I used to love it. You've never heard of that? No. Oh, you're going to go looking for it now. No. no I, yeah. I do you know what you're doing? Or do you try, or, or, no, well, I've, I've tried it. to stop it now. Try to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have. I, my daughter sent it to me ages ago. Like it was a meme or whatever they call it. Yeah. I don't even really, but now... Now I've, not, now I've seen it, I can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. But I've done a few press conferences where I've gone, you know, you, you do it and then you go, oh, shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Can't help it. So there we go. The answer to the question that people have been asking me a lot over the last year or so, Dave. Do you think Frank Lampard knows about this? The answer is yes, he does. He knows about the Lampardian transition. A pivotal moment in football culture, I think. Yeah, he knows about it and yet still can't stop himself from doing it, which is interesting. Now we've got this public statement as well. All eyes on uh, his next press conference when he gets back in. How hard is he going to work to try and to try and avoid it? I suspect, Charlie, at that point, the shark will have been jumped. Don't you? Yeah, pro- unfortunately, probably that. Yeah, that that is that is tends to be the way with these. You know, something's funny, and then once it's kind of had its moment and gone a bit beyond it, someone will jump on it and make him feel a bit uncomfortable about it. In his answer, Dave, I got. It, it, I mean, it was a very Lampardian answer in its own right, sort of um, trying to joke along, but giving the slight impression that it has rattled him a little bit, which was never the intention. It was just a, it was a mere observation on my part back in 2014 or something like that. But I don't want to live rent free in his head. I just. I just wanted to know why he did it. And he, he seemed a little bit too rattled to me. Um, I'm sad about that. I didn't get the sense that he was rattled at all. I just think it was obviously just just this such an instinctive behaviour that he just that he just started doing. And there are probably other examples of it here and there, but obviously he's just the, the foremost purveyor of it. And if, if somebody filmed you repeatedly and then showed you something that you were doing and you'd never been aware of, you would be a bit, you'd be mortified. That'd be awful. Yeah. That'd be yeah. absolutely awful. I can't think I of anything I quite like worse. his reaction there. Yeah. I think he's sort of, it's like that thing where someone point. yeah, you, you're like, oh yeah, I've never noticed that. That is weird. Do I really sound like that? Oh yeah, I guess watching it back I do I do also think in his defence it is quite a widespread as Dave says he he is definitely you know the kind of standout purveyor of it but it's quite a standard thing as a manager yeah no because you have to be you have to make it so clear unless you're very confident with kind of your sense of humour but because of the way things take off you have to make it so clear that like I'm back in kind of serious mode and I'm you know I'm not making light of anything um, which does lead to those exaggerated versions of it uh, Lampard said that um, Dave that he he was aware of it because his daughter had sent him it, a, a meme or something as he called it um, that irritates me because that implies that he got it second hand through some banter account and, and not directly from my uh, my hallowed thread well you never know Frank Lampard's daughter could be following you on Twitter could it's be pos- it's possible. do a quick search yeah um, yeah could do but yeah just just pleased to see that the, the cultural circle has been completed there and uh, i hope we all can live our lives in peace from now on right next up this came from adam ogburn who was watching uh, the master snooker about a week or so ago and uh, these things happened about 46 seconds apart surely a world record even well there's an interesting spectator james madison tottenham england midfielder 
loves a snooker. And there's another good 13. friend of Ronnie, MA fighter, Paddy Pimlet, all the way from Liverpool. Loves a snooker too. 14. Surely rubber stamping, Charlie. Snooker's status as the most loves his sport of all. I think it is, yeah. It's a shame he says two because I thought it was going to be that he hadn't realised and it was so autopilot. Yeah, I think it probably... It loves his darts. Could be golf. comparable, I think. But golf is participation rather than spectating, wouldn't you say? Love, love, no, golf. Like, loves his golf, but that, that's going out and having a round rather than going and watch it. I can't recall ever seeing many celebrities or, or other sports people in the crowd Mm. at the Open or the Masters. It'd be in the VIP bit, though, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Go but I, I think it sort of works for any, you know, loves his or her minor sport. It's, yeah, it, it has to be a niche. <laughs> yeah. I don't, like, loves his rugby sounds weird, for instance. Like, mm. That's too, that's too sort of mainstream somehow. But you could have, say, like, I don't know, a Hollywood star at a football game spotted and someone loves his football, of course, but then... Maybe they say it, Charlie, because it might be a surprise that they like their football. So there, there has to be a sort of a disparate scenario going on I there. think that's the only way in which it could, yeah. Because football's too mainstream otherwise. Why is it a possessive thing? Why does it belong to the person? I think that's a really interesting question. I, th- I think because it makes it feel more intimate and it adds to the sense that they're really into it. I think that's what that his is doing. Loves his darts. Yeah, it's like, it's. I suppose it, it kind of speaks to it being like a hobby or a thing that they do to, to get away. You, you, could, you could hear it and like, it doesn't necessarily have to be sports. Like, you hear people refer to like his programs or his mm. cooking, Loves his films. Gardening. Loves his films. Yeah. Loves his gardening or whatever. Yeah. You know, like it's... Loves his cooking. It's a thing. It's, it's your thing. I think it does imply a, a more genuine interest, like... Mm. Or, and a less general interest, you know, lo- loves the darts, suggests you're just kind of there for a good time. Mm. Loves his darts, gives the impression of, no, I'm, I'm actually quite into the darts, yeah, and I, and I care about it. You know, lo- loves the cricket, is just likes a day out at the Oval. Loves his cricket, is I'm, I'm, I'm actually properly following it and know about it. Yeah, and you could say, you know, love my... Love my darts, love my films, love my cooking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you are. Yeah, oh, maybe. I don't know, though. I think saying it yourself is a bit weird. Oh, I love, no, I love my quiz show darts. contestants do it all the time. Yeah, no, I love my crocheting. Yeah, love my, love my reading. It happens. But yeah, very interesting question on the possessive. Would like to hear some more theories on that, please. Next up, this is an old clip, but it kind of resurfaced on Twitter this week. And it's it's something we've never really confronted on this podcast, Dave, because, you know, we, we, we turn the mirror on football quite a lot, but we never see it from an outsider's perspective a lot. We never think about what people who don't like football football or have no appreciation of football think about it and I think that's quite an interesting perspective um, for us to look at and this came from Lorne Malvo this is UFC supremo Dana White just laying into the sport of football and uh, Lorne Malvo simply asked does he have any valid points here let's judge it on its merits shall we can't stand soccer I think that it's the least talented sport on earth there's a reason three-year-olds can play soccer, okay? Run around and kick a ball. Now, Landsberg said, you wouldn't say that if you were in Brazil. I said, dude, I say this in every country. Every-. When you're playing a game where the net is this big and the score is three to one, are you me right now? You know how untalented you have to be to score three points when the net is this big? Now, in hockey, you have guys on skates, right, on a, with crooked sticks where they have to hit a, 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 a puck uh, into a net that's the same size as the goalie, okay? That's a sport that, it, that the score should be three to one. Right, Charlie, um, we've all been exposed to anti-football arguments before. There are lots of very novel points in here that I'd never heard before from a football naysayer. If we were to construct a scale 
of football appreciation. At the top, Pep Guardiola. At the bottom, someone who calls it 22 people chasing around a pig's bladder Mm. for 90 minutes. Where does this sit in its kind of logic, in its kind of viable logic? Um, I mean, I ne- I always, if, if someone really, this at least feels genuine to me. Like that's, that's what I think, you know, that's important. So he, I've got no issue with someone having any opinion as long as it's genuine. Like it's not grandstanding. Mm. He's thought think. about he, it. Yeah, he clearly does believe in it. But I, w- I would just take issue with a couple of things. I, I think the point about um, the fact that, you know, a three-year-old can play it. That to me is precisely what makes it such a great and competitive sport. The fact it is really easy to pick up. That's why it's the most played sport. It's the best sport. That's what makes it so good that you're watching the best of the best athletes and sports people in the world. He's talking about the skill element. He's saying it doesn't require much skill to play it at an elite level compared to... In his example, he used ice hockey. I mean, the ice hockey example is an interesting one because, I mean, skating, ice, anyone who's tried ice skating is obviously very difficult. And then to do yeah, that insane. whilst playing a team game and having a stick in your hand and hitting a puck, it is quite mad. Uh, but his, to his point, by the way, ice hockey scores are quite similar to football scores. But anyway, generally... Yeah, very Boxing Day 1963, isn't it, ice hockey? A little bit, yeah. Lots didn't of put, five, yeah, five like fours that, and stuff. Yeah. But like generally, I think... To compare it to most sports where you're able to use your hands, the fact that you can only use your feet in football automatically makes it more difficult than than being able to use your hands. Exactly. And Charlie, obviously you've watched football all your life. And so the idea that you 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 are propelling a ball with your feet is basically second nature to you. Like it doesn't it doesn't dumbfound you. But someone who someone who barely watches football has no appreciation of it, it must just go what are they doing? This is mad. Like some yeah. of the positions they get themselves into, the, the, the things they contort themselves into just to propel a ball with their feet is crazy and fair play, actually. But I think as well, like the the two things can sort of be true that it is just because something's easy to play or to pick up, that doesn't mean it's easy to play at an elite level at all. I, I completely agree. I think the three-year-olds thing is completely irrelevant. Yeah, Archery or rowing, they look, they look so hard, but that doesn't mean it's a kind of... That that just filters out so many people. So if I bet you there are, are some really of, good fucking three year old archers, though, there'll be there some. will be one. But for most, it's really difficult. The ease of football is what makes it so hard to do well at an elite level because it's so competitive. The new Robin Hood, they'd be dubbed. And on the score, and, and on the scoring point he makes, I mean, this is I, I'm aware how ridiculous this is to be talking so honestly about it, but it's fun. No, no, I think it's good. Uh, the, the low scoring thing that is um, that's part of the reason why football to me is such an interesting sport and why if we're getting too serious and granular that's why VAR is an issue in a, a low scoring sport like football because there are so few of those really big moments sport like tennis there are hundreds and hundreds of points so if you compromise one it doesn't matter so much when you've got so few goals it really does so let's get into the ice hockey comparison Dave and it, and it does tap into this kind of prevailing kind of um, anti-American prejudice that they can't handle sports that are, that are low scoring. They, you know, it has to be action all the time. But the, the detail he gives is that, you know, ice hockey has these tiny goals that are essentially the same size as a keeper. How come they can't score more goals in football? But I don't know, it's closer range, isn't it? So it's all condensed, is it? It's not like you're shooting from 30 yards all the time in ice hockey, are you? Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. But what what's the relative scale between an ice hockey goal and a puck, and a football goal, and a ball. This is very interesting to me. It's probably quite similar. And given that the puck is, you're assuming, 
the puck is side on as well. You're not using the entire surface area of the circle of the puck. But even if you did, and that's generous, it's probably quite similar. So basically, Dana White is saying that it's easier for goalkeepers, goaltenders in hockey to save shots because they are the same size as the goal. Whereas in football, you've got loads to aim for. But that's not the only factor at play, is it? It's a slippery puck. And it's a small and it's, puck and it and can get underneath times. Yeah. Yeah. I do wonder if he has actually said this in Brazil, as he claimed, and how that did go down. They love their MMA over there, so True. it might have been a mixed response. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm glad we just didn't go in straight into dismantling this argument. I, I, I am always interested in people who don't like football and don't know about football and, and expressing their opinion on it because, you know, we don't... We don't we don't get to appreciate that side of things very often. So as bombastic as his opinions were, I was entertained by some of the logic. Right, next up. For my sins corner, not a competitive one, a high-level exhibition for you. This came from Robin Cumming, who's been watching a gritty new police drama, Criminal Record, on Apple TV, starring Peter Capaldi. And he's uh, responsible for 66.6% of what you're about to hear. In the first three episodes, or first two episodes in a bit, there are this many For My Sinses. This is one every 34 minutes. Unsustainable. I put it to you. Now, if you don't mind, I need to crack on. Weekly Task and Coordination Committee for my sins. Are you familiar with the term unconscious bias? I did the away day for my sins. I'm with you today for my sins. Kim Cardwell. Yeah, I know who you are. Couple of things. I really thought he was going to say, "Are you familiar with the term for my sins?" <laughs> at the start of that, which would have been amazing. That um, really would have suggested the writers are cliches, listeners, wouldn't it? Well, to, to, on that point, declaring an interest here, my brother has written one of the episodes for this series. Get fucked, but not one of the first three. What? Yeah, that what? Yeah, yeah. Sounds like I'm making this up. I think he wrote episode six, so look out for that. I will check with him. Get advanced, uh, advanced warning if there's a for my sins in his episode. Does he listen to the pod? I feel like I should ask that. He does, and he's been to the live shows. So, um, yeah. So he's I, written episode six. He's not. Is he part of the writers' room? Could he have slipped one in? I don't think he could have done. Do they have writers' rooms for police dramas? Is it the same as comedy? They do. I mean, I think so. Yeah. But I, but I think the way it's worked for this one, he. Um, he wrote the one episode he wrote separately, but I will ask. Wow. This reminds me, this is right up there in this context, right back in episode two of this podcast or something, when it turns out me and James McNicholas play for the same Sunday League team. We had no idea. Yeah, just that at different was... points. This is mind-blowing. I mean, I was literally yeah. going to joke about, oh, the, one of the writers must listen to the yeah. cliches pod. This is insane. And how yeah. casually he threw it in, Dave, as well. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that that your brother was a uh, successful screenwriter. Well, he and he did. I've may have mentioned this before, but he spoke to me. He would like because you've got when you write a show, you've got so many throwaway names to play with. You know, in something like this, there might be a dead body that's found or yeah. something like that. And the fun you can have, and that he does have, with just chucking in names that amuse him and will mean nothing to ninety nine percent of people. Exactly. I mean, I mean. Yeah, to a certain extent, you've got creative license there because it is funny to throw in, as we all know now, footballers' names in things. Well, keeping an eye on this series from now on, my Apple TV subscription getting renewed. Fantastic. Right, next up, um, love this little observation from uh, friend of the cliches pod and um, crowd noise enthusiast Ellis James. He tweeted, does anyone still play five aside on those hard wooden floors? with what looks like a giant tennis ball. And it evoked such memories in my mind, Dave. Actually, in fact, my daughter, now we've moved out, my daughter now does um, uh, like like dance lessons on Saturday morning. And she does dance lessons at the school where I used to have midweek football training when I was like 10. And we played in a giant hall with a giant tennis ball. And oh my God, I actually think it was the most enjoyable football of my entire life. 
the giant tennis ball but the, the purchase you used to get on it's it. amazing i i love those balls and genuinely that is something that i talk nostalgically about with a, a friend of mine who's at the same primary school and we're like oh do you remember we used to play that game with the with the massive fluffy giant tennis balls it was so good dare i say it dave those balls are underrated or underappreciated because like when you hear about nostalgic football chat people always bang on about the mold masters and the marks they used to leave on your legs they were shit like they were crap things to play with in the playground or elsewhere rubbish Stop the preoccupation with these. Let's talk about the giant tennis balls that you play with indoors. What are they called? Like, what's the name of them? I'm, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated to think about why do we use those giant tennis balls for, for that type of football? Is there a, like a reason? Do they, uh, do they react better against the wood? It, if anything, it, uh, they're, they're too slippery. It's almost like ice hockey, if anything. What's the problem with playing with a normal ball inside? Is it is it are they cause the, is it like the leather's going to come off? Like, you know, like when you're playing in the concrete in, in school playground? A leather football would stick too much to a laminate wood surface, no question. But I think the giant tennis ball, if in it, you know, whilst extolling its virtues to a huge extent, Charlie, I feel like it's too slippery. And now memories are flooding back. Horrendous memories. Year six into form football tournament, five aside, indoors. We got to the final and it was sudden death penalty shootout after a 1-1 draw. Sudden death, disgrace, straight away. Really? And, wow, yeah. And the first penalty taken for them was a Crystal Palace youth player <laughs> stuck it in the top corner. Then I, up I stepped, hit both posts, cried, pushed my teacher, Went home in embarrassment. Um, <laughs> I was going to say how bad... I thought that was heading towards a defeat and I was going to ask just how badly did you take that, but... Uh, yeah, uh, so badly. You've revealed it. Can you imagine? Was, but, was um, that pre- so was that pre-Decanio and uh, Paul Alcock? Must have been. Can't do the maths. What is year six? So you'd have been 11. Yeah, so that would be before... Yeah, be it, before yeah, that, was, yeah. that would have been a good five years before that. So if anything, I invented pushing away officials. Yeah. <laughs> what a pioneer I've been. <laughs> but yeah... A great ball. I, I would pay to watch Premier League players play with that ball in a in a in a polished wooden indoor pitch. I've just googled why, uh, why are indoor footballs uh, yellow. So I mean, maybe I've led it down a path, a, a <laughs> slightly slight path here. Um, it's like what a six-year-old would Google, but fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I, could, I couldn't think of how to phrase it. But uh, <laughs> they, they, there's a there's a website here you can buy a Forza size five indoor football, which claims that. The colour allows it to be seen under the harsh lights of the gym. The harsh lights. Under the lights. Hmm. Oh, it's magic. Oh, what I would pay to go and do that. Better than Power League, basically. Mm, I'm not sure about that. But I <laughs> the do pace. I think I think this is this 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 sort of custom has been replaced by futsal in the modern day. I think that's sort of that's the kind of indoor football game of, of choice, really, isn't it? I like futsal, but it's very squeaky. And the squeakiness implies stickiness. And the stickiness to me oozes cruciate ligaments and ankle twists. Whereas slidey wooden floors and felt balls, slick, (laughs) smooth, like chocolate. That's another question I was going to ask, actually. What did you wear on your feet when you played in this scenario? Trying to remember, yeah. Reebok Classics. Yeah, because gyms won't let you wear AstroTurf because they'll they'll mark the floor. Yeah, very, very strict on that, aren't they? But I'm not sure I would have had, at that age, I think I probably, yeah, just would have worn my normal, they were pretty versatile trainers at that age, weren't they? You sort of just yeah. wore them all the time. Just your trainers, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sort of my, I should have worn the pair of shoes that I own. Sport agnostic footwear, yeah. Oh, well, um, that's it. We're, we're a nostalgia of childhood football podcast now. Sorry about that. Right, that brings us to the end of the first half of the adjudication panel. We'll be back shortly. Oh, look at that! That is 
Welcome back to the adjudication panel. Some unfinished business to take care of, actually. We were discussing on Tuesday's pod about the best goal ever scored past a statuesque goalkeeper. Now, it was non-judgmental. I was never suggesting that there were no good goals ever scored by statuesque goalkeepers, that it would ever harm the spectacle of one. So we had some very um, high-profile answers, suggestions for this, Charlie. Nick Grant says, Philip Albert's chip for Newcastle against Manchester United, I believe, left Peter Schmeichel both rooted and beaten all ends up, which was the genesis of this argument, all ends up. And um, that's a good example, isn't it? And uh, so... I- the running theme for some of these suggestions is indeed that a rooted goalkeeper doesn't harm the spectacle of a, of a great goal at all. I, I think almost it overlapped too much where a lot of people were talking about rooted, which is fine, but rooted mm. and beaten all ends up. They're not quite the same no, thing and they no. were kind of being used interchangeably. Yeah. Samuel Indyk, uh, Dave says Roberto Carlos's free kick against France. I thought of that one when, when we were talking about it. On the, sh- on the pod on Tuesday that was the one going through my head but I just couldn't think about whether or not I couldn't quite think in the moment whether Bartos had dived or not but he does kind of move a bit like some of these examples it's like is a rooting completely and utterly statuesque and still or are you allowing a bit of like turning of the head of like a maybe a thinking they're going to set off and then deciding not to I think it's all in the feet personally I think you're allowed you you, you can allow a goalkeeper to watch the ball on its way other it's, otherwise what you know what are they doing why can't they react you're, I think they're allowed to watch the ball in Larice style but I mean yeah, the, yeah it's, the full version is rooted to the spot isn't it so it is kind of it should be minimal I, I would just say just think about the Albert one the only thing with all ends up I do feel there should the goal it should feel like it's beaten the keeper in quite in a number of ways whereas that's just sort of gone over him it's not like okay do you know what I mean like where some of More these stranded. Like, he was stranded wasn't he he's stranded and it's just yeah. gone over him it's kind of in the middle of the goal I mm. think all ends up the spirit it should be more it's it's in the corner it's too high for him, too wide for him because it's in the corner. Like he's he's just nowhere near it on a, on sort of more than just one level. Uh, other suggestions: uh, Ronaldo's free kick against Portsmouth, Rooney's overhead kick against City, and Ronaldinho's toe poke against Chelsea. None of these goals apply here, Charlie. But it, it does remind me of a subset of this phenomenon, which is goalkeepers who are initially stra- initially statuesque and then feel like they need to do something. They fall back on their ass. <laughs> they roll mm. backwards on their ass, but with their hands still up. As well. Like they've been knocked out in boxing or something. A strange phenomenon. I don't know why they do it. it Deflected goals we... often for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, d- yeah. Deflected could be that. Yeah. That sort of just weary, resigned collapse which is also a keeper's way of telling you it's been deflected i think sometimes just to make just to make that very clear that there was you know not a lot they could have done next up charlie you may recall on a recent listeners mhd someone talking about the um the paranoia they feel when a player on their team has been booked and they flash up the uh Mm. yellow card graphic of how many yellow cards they've received that season whether they might be on the cusp of a suspension well um in the fraught encounter between brentford and nottingham forest the other night forest coach rui pedro silva got booked and uh, Taibi's tracksuit got back in touch again and said um, they put up the graphic of how many yellow cards this guy had got this season and it was a one I mean, obviously it's a one but, <laughs> but what, I mean I suppose you've got, to, you've got to continue the system I suppose for everyone who gets booked but Taibi's tracksuit says absolute minefield to recognise backroom staff if Sky keeping a tally is the kit man in there medical staff I mean it's a good point it is a good point and do you know what they should do as well though is because they have different thresholds for bans for like managers yellow cards compared to players so it should be like a one one of three or whatever it is for a manager. I don't know what it is for backroom staff, but it should make it clear. If you do have that anxiety and you're thinking, oh, is Rio Pedro Silva, how how close is he to a booking? It's useful 
to know what the threshold is. I might be wrong, Dave, but I think if your backroom staff get booked, it goes towards the manager's disciplinary record. Oh, really? Do you seem yeah, to be hearing that before? Yeah, I think it's something like that. So they, well, you he could hasn't controlled them. Band. Exactly. But as an extension of that, Dave, it also made me think like, does Sky have like a name caption for everyone in a backroom staff as well, just in case they become suddenly newsworthy or, I don't know, it might be against their old club or something like that? How many people in a stadium at any given time have a Sky name graphic ready? Because, you know, they're famous people in the stands. Do they have to just quickly knock them up? I think they I think they would type it. Would they not, would they not type it live? I'm sure they can. Yeah, I'm sure they can whip that up in in no time. I didn't. I didn't actually factor in the possibility that they might just quickly type them. Yes. Fine. But nevertheless, you still but you still have to have like a f- comprehensive list of all of the backroom staff and a With photo. pictures. Yeah. 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 All of them walking up to the camera and doing a crossed arm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Where does it end? I mean, you know, in these days of ID cards and season tickets, everyone in the stadium must presumably grant permission for their name, presumably, to come up at the bottom of the screen at any time if they become newsworthy and famous. You sometimes hear, don't you, there have been instances where like team analysts have gone at each other, like both sets of team analysts have gone at each other. So I bet they're now, you know, on Sky's radar. Yeah. <laughs> Just the mind boggles about who could appear on the screen. Right. AFCON chat next. Um, this guy is becoming the star of AFCON for me so far. His name is Robbie Nock. He's um, he's a commentator on the world feed for AFCON. He's uh, he's at his 10th tournament. He's been to... Uh, so he knows the game. He knows the scene. This is his commentary for Cape Verde versus Egypt. A little sneaky little... Marsh moves with a shot. It's a beautiful effort. Can they get a follow-up? Oh, great saves. Great saves from the senior. Marmouche's shot was a beauty. The follow-up by Mustafa Mohamed couldn't quite get past the goalkeeper. And uh, working really well, Hattie puts it back and the shot has gone again. Another shot! Oh, that was very close. And uh, the second shot. All right, Mendes does really well. The ball comes to uh, that man who's uh, looking super dangerous. They're trying to get a shot in. Oh, there's a goal! Kate Verde have scored! Unbelievable! This is remarkable! The Blue Sharks have done it again! It's that man! Unbelievable! It's a goal! Didn't think it wasn't, but it is! It's gone in! Tries again! Tries again! It's the man! Unbelievable! He's only just come on, and look what he's done! And it's the Blue Sharks who can't let go now. The ball comes across, great save. Oh, that's the chance! It's in the back of the net, they've scored! Charlie, now, certainly at international tournaments, um, we're often um, treated to sort of an uncovered commentator who who loses it at certain moments. It's often sort of commentators from that country, like an Icelandic commentator or something like that. Now... Mm. This guy's obviously incredibly enthusiastic, but it, that's not really the point I want to make here. Robbie Knox's tempo is, is is what I'm fascinated by. It's it's relentless. Like, this is the group stages. How is he going to keep this up? It reminds me a bit of when Jonathan Pierce was like, back in the mid-90s on Capital Gold, his thing was like, you know, really going, really going for it. It feels like that sort of energy is really, really kind of, yeah, as you say, high tempo and, and relentless. Dave, to pick up another commentary case study, topical one, um, a lot of people talk about Peter Drury's commentary style. And I often think that he's done a disservice by the fact that a lot of people only consume his commentary or, or have done in recent years through clips. So it's usually goals. So they don't really sort of get to hear him doing the kind of blow-by-blow accounts of a midfield, you know, 
battle, you know, the, the real mundane stuff. And I think they would appreciate him more. This guy, I, I actually cannot, inf- I can't even picture him talking about a ball just being knocked out around in midfield. He just, <laughs> I, I just don't reckon he, he can he can slow it down that much. You worry for his voice long term because you can hear it going on. going yeah. towards the end of the game, but. Yeah. But it, admirable levels of... It wasn't like he just sort of went for it and then pulled it back in. It's like he, he's all or nothing. And he and he pretty much was able to keep it up for the whole game. He reminded me a little bit of, of Ray Hudson at times. <laughs> yeah, see. Hudson as well, yeah. Yeah. Charlie, he's he's a multi-sport commentator. He does a lot of rugby. I think he's done some golf as well. Incredibly well-travelled. He's here, there and everywhere. So loves sport, clearly. So I, And I do sense a kind of jack-of-all-trades in the nicest possible way about that commentary. It's not very football, is it? It's it's almost like you can yeah. sense that like football maybe not his first sport and then so that lends it an innocence and I'm not I'm not sort of being nice here it is genuinely quite innocent commentary. You're right. It's like an Olympics, and and that's more what this is. You, you, you know, rather than you're saying before, it's not like the kind of local broadcaster. But you can imagine, you know, a hockey game at the Olympics, and there being a BBC commentator who's really, really going for it. Barry Davis, famously, Robbie Knock, get him to Paris 2024. And this leads me on to the next clip, which is uh, some more of his commentary for what Egypt thought was their late winner before Cape Verde equalised, and. Um, it's it's just incredible stream of consciousness. I've never had anything like it in my life. It's almost like it's almost like someone's tried to imitate Drury without being told what Drury does or sounds like. This is unbelievable. The drama, the excitement. I mean, not in Egyptian history. You know, when all the the gods were around, when the pyramids were being built. I don't think they had drama like this. <laughs> Where do you start with that? <laughs> when all the gods were around. The gods were around. The gods were around. The pyramids are being built. <laughs> Tutankhamun himself. Gods were around. That's better than Drury in Rome for me. I was going to say, yeah, it is that. It's like it's like if a computer game didn't have the rights to Drury, but we're like, let's do something <laughs> that kind of approximates it. Pro Evo commentary. I, I, honestly, I cannot think of a hole a commentator has dug himself into deeper than starting a sentence with in Egyptian history because you've got yourself a lot to play with there. Uh, yeah, it's a <laughs> lot of go? history. Um, Robbie Knock, really enjoying your commentary and can't wait for the knockout stages because uh, it's been a it's been an incredible tournament so far. So I can't wait to see what comes next. Okay, next up. I mean, this is just this is just hilarious, really. Ed Miliband tweeting about uh, MP Alan Whitehead and his speech in Parliament about the. Um, Conservatives energy bill and uh, three flame emojis, Dave. Alan Whitehead doing Alan Whitehead things. <laughs> Alan Whitehead doesn't really lend itself to, to doing things. The name, I don't think. No, I can't say I've ever heard of Alan Whitehead before. Stop that, Alan Whitehead. <laughs> Stop it, Alan Whitehead. Stop that right now. Ed Miliband is an interesting one because he kind of, post his leadership, he's sort of become a bit more of a in touch with popular culture a bit, hasn't he? He's got a right. podcast. He kind of, he's, yeah, you know, he's yeah. a bit more savvy, I think, than he than maybe we gave yeah. him credit for first time round. But does he know, does he know sort of what he's saying here? Is he just sort of he's seen a it on, at all. I think he's, he's obviously very active on Twitter. So I think he probably just sees it on Twitter. Maybe he's yeah, embarrassed I, it. But. I think that's it. I'm not sure he's, he's doing it because it's like a football thing but he would have he would have been across it on Twitter 
And of course, Alan Whitehead will have a reputation within the party. So he'll know, you know, he's probably seen him in action before. So you kind of have to allow it on that basis. But in a, in a, in a public consciousness sense, I'm not having it. I don't know why. Well, PMQs, it sort of lends itself quite well to this sort of language because it's a lot about like owning people. I mean, I know they make quite similar noises in Parliament, but it'd be good like if indeed after someone did get owned in Parliament, it'd be like the skills challenge on Soccer Aim where they all start sort of falling over each other. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of, yeah. <laughs> Howling. That'd be fantastic. We'd love to see that. Um, here's one where I think we'll all be in agreement over. It came from Ellis Weber, a headline on the BBC about Brighton nil, Wolves nil. It said Brighton and Wolves cancel each other out in draw. Ellis Weber says, surely you cannot cancel each other out in a nil-nil. Zeph follows up and says, can, can you cancel each other out in a goalless draw? I'm baffled by this. Charlie, of course you can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely can. Yeah, isn't that exactly what it is? Yeah. Um, I think the confusion that might have come here, Dave, is that, you know, a goal can cancel the other team's goal out. So it, that, But that's a separate thing. Teams cancelling each other out is, is so goalless draw. It's, it's, it's what goalless draws are made for. Mm. Yeah, a stalemate. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I was, I'm, I'm glad, because when you started saying that, I thought you were going to be agreeing with the, uh, with, the, with the guys that have sent this in. Yeah, don't worry. But it's, yeah, if, if, I, if I'd seen that headline without the score, I think I would assume it was a nil-nil. Hmm. Totally. Yeah, definitely. I, I fear for this. I fear that other people are under this impression. Anyway, so on similar note, maybe uh, you feel the same about this one. Um, you may remember, recall a recent debate we had about upfield and downfield, and we never quite got to the bottom of it. Um, I'm looking into it further. But uh, on a similar note, Sid writes and says, often when teams are defending, holding on to a lead late in the game, they're described as having 10 or 11 men behind the ball. Can you be behind something that is coming towards you? <laughs> I mean, it's fine, isn't it? Charlie, that's all right. That doesn't say that doesn't make me suddenly reconsider everything I've been believing and thinking for the last forty years of my life. Ten men behind the ball. It's fine. I think it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Jake Yoroth follows up with a bit of context, Dave. I see the logic here, he says, but they're behind it in the direction they should be travelling. The fact that the ball goes in all kinds of directions does rather negate behind, though. So it's driven by the fact that they should be going forward, yeah. um, but they're behind the thing that they should be pushing forward. It's like a, you know, like a military sort of thing. You know, they're behind the front line. They've not gone over the top. Um, how do you feel about this one then? Silas Nichols emails in and says, just seen the headline, Manchester United keen to extend McTominay's stay. And wondered if you can extend the stay of a player who came through the academy. A stay, a stay seems more temporary, like you're renting a house and the landlord wants to extend your contract. Whereas McTominay is essentially still living with his parents as he's never moved out. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of agree with this. It, it does imply that he, you know, he, he joined and then he signed up for a term and then they've extended it. So he, he's always been there. So don't like it. Yeah, I think this is similar to what we're talking about, the cutoff for when you can talk about a player being a signing. Mm. You know, and I think there's a certain point at which it, it goes beyond being a stay. It's not a stay. Like you wouldn't say mo even Mo Salah at Liverpool now. You would say Liverpool looking to extend his stay. It's gone beyond that. I think yeah. he's set up close to permanent residency there. Yeah, it's not a spell. It's not yeah. a tenure. If you had a, a player on loan with no obligation to buy for six months, but then you wanted to extend it at the end or sign them permanently, would that be extending the stay? Yeah. Yeah, I don't see why not. But I, I, I do sort of... I think it kind of works for McTominay, though, because he is... Well, he's on thin ice on his Manchester United career, is that what you're saying? No, but I mean, you just because you've always been somewhere doesn't mean you... You know, he has stayed there. If you stayed there for your whole career, if he was a one-club man, you'd say he stayed at Man United no, his whole career. You're not extending his stay. He's been there the whole time. No, no way. Next up, Danny Jameson. Uh, he says, a preview for Brentford versus Forest, I read, uh, used the phrase, the G-Tech faithful. 
as a second mention for Brentford fans. Obviously, this is wrong, but are there any sponsored stadium names that are acceptable in this context? There must be some long-standing sponsored stadiums out there, Charlie, that could be used here. You'd hear the Emirates faithful, I think, and I don't think it would seem massively jarring. And that's because there's no predecessor to its name, is there really? Ashburton Grove Neville was never really a thing as a football stadium. It's both, there's no predecessor and it's pretty long-standing now. So it's just like a kind of it, that it's except I think most people, you know, the Emirates, most people wouldn't even think of. Obviously, they know it's a sponsor, but it's it's so synonymous in the way that like GTEC isn't. I was going to that's what I was going to say, Dave. You know, Emirates themselves are probably quite happy with this because, oh, God, it's, it's ingrained in everybody's brains. You know that we've really got brand awareness going. It's probably had the opposite effect. Like people just don't think about them at all when they say it. Uh, so shit advertising, if anything. They've branded too well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think to look at Danny's example, even without the GTEC, so there were, obviously there was a period of time where it was the Brentford Community Stadium. Yeah. Is that right? You wouldn't have said the, the Brentford Community <laughs> the Brentford Stadium, Community Stadium faithful. faithful, would you? The GTEC faithful sounds very odd. Sounds like a cult. Um, Jake Yoroth was on, on fire in the replies for these. He says, the Reebok was definitely worthy in the early 2000s for Bolton. I'm not sure about that, actually. Maybe. The Reebok faithful? Yeah, okay. In the modern era, King Power for Leicester? Yes. Yeah. It doesn't really feel, again, it doesn't really feel like a brand name. It just feels like a really absurd name they gave their stadium. So I think King Power is probably all right. Mm. And as in, indeed the Emirates, as you say. Outside of football, Dave, the O2 has actually superseded Millennium Dome, which is a tough gig. Yeah, I don't think of it as the Millennium Dome anymore. No, not of course not. I mean, because the O2 Arena is actually only the bit, literally the arena inside the thing, right? Because there's all sorts of other stuff inside the but it's sort of all called the like, it's though, like the it? big ben dilemma isn't it big ben's yeah. just the bell <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you would describe uh concert goers as the o2 faithful though would you <laughs> no <laughs> can you get a season ticket for all the yeah. for all the gigs at the o2 oh dear booing i don't know throwing their season tickets away when they don't like a gig uh, here is a venerable footballing phrase that i think we should analyze here's ben chilwell being interviewed by Sky ahead of the second leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final against Middlesbrough. I asked a few of the boys um, that I'm close with that were at Spurs what he was like to work for and the general consensus I got back from them was that you just want to run run through a wall for him. And not the classic form of the phrase not though, Charlie. because you, one, yeah. You, know, you have to specify the materials and also I think it'd be walls plural, actually. So if you're only going to run through one wall for Pochettino, maybe he's not quite having the desired effect after all. I don't know. I think singular's fine. I think really? that's more yeah. wise. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think you, one yeah, wall. You, run, you run through a brick wall for him. Yeah, I think that's okay. as acceptable if not more than I think brick walls sounds a bit like you're labouring the point a bit. What one's <laughs> Literally. fine? Um, um, okay, so once you, the so the material takes precedent over the over the number of the walls. Yeah, the, the material is very important because if it was uh, you know if it was one of those paper walls in Japan or if it's like a stud wall or something, you could probably run through that with relative ease. Running through a brick wall, however, different matter entirely. Yeah, it's very important to specify brick in all contexts. If you, even if you said someone was built like a shit house, it wouldn't be quite the same. Mm. Brick shit house is uh, important. Brick is brick is a, a noble, sturdy material, and it really lends itself to this. But uh, the overall question I want to ask here, Charlie, is who's the most run through walls for the manager? I, I remember when when Postecoglou was appointed and speaking to former players of his, it kept coming up like a few times. It was said a number of times. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Like it. It really stood out. I think it's easy to get this wrong because, I mean, you could suggest someone like Dyche, um, Dave, but I don't think that's necessarily, that's not part of his of his arsenal of, of sort of man management. I don't think players run through walls for him. They kind of just 
they sort of do what they're told, but they don't do That's it out of point. loyalty. Mm. <laughs> they don't do it out of love. They do it out of loyalty, but not love. God, it's, you used to yeah. do this thing in training every preseason. Like, make us run through these fucking brick walls. That's what I was going to say. Who's the manager who would most literally ask his players to run through walls? Potet- potentially Dyche. Uh, would Bielsa have come up with that? <laughs> Quite yeah. possibly, yeah. 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 Causing a lot of injuries and him not being bothered. Yeah, so it, it's not a proper football man thing. It's not a dice. It's not a Pulis. It's not Allardyce. It's not Warnock. It's it's some. There has to be an element of charisma to the person. I think Mourinho. You would have heard that. There would have been a period in that in that sweet spot, of Mourinho, and he's Chelsea, Porto, Inter, and his players. You know, he's like a cult leader. I think there would be quite a lot of that around. I think so. Mourinho peaked when his players both ran through walls for him and then um, knew what the result was going to be before the game because he told them everything that was going to happen. Mm. That's when he was at his peak of his powers. He doesn't do either of those things anymore. Um, actually, out of interest, Charlie, was Pochettino the manager that got his Spurs squad to walk through fire? Didn't they walk through over hot coals? Walked over hot coals, there yeah. You go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doing all the cliches, but at least he literally did that one, so fair play. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, you, you, the likes of, like, Bobby Robson, even, like, Brian Clough, like, it's, a, it's people that are, like, yeah, it's the cult of personality. They're not hard taskmasters in the summer. Cluffy probably was, but it's like, yeah, it is. It's that. It's that personality, that charisma. They'll do. Any, they'll do anything he said because he just had us enraptured. And mm. it, so, whilst it sounds like um, you know a fire in a belly kind of situation, Charlie, you probably get players to run through walls for you more with the arm round the shoulder approach than the shouting and screaming approach, which is of course the only dichotomy you're allowed in managerial circles. So, um. That's you know maybe quite a surprise to some people. I think, but it's more of the softly, softly approach to get people to run through walls for you. Yeah, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm just thinking like, would you run through brick walls for for Pep? I feel like you probably would, like you trust him, but I don't think you'd. I don't know. It feels a bit basic for him. Somehow. That reminds me actually, uh, this week's absurd annual ceremony of the Globe Soccer Awards in Dubai. They had these lengthy interviews on stage with a couple of Manchester City players, uh, Ruben Diaz, who genuinely did speak very well. By the way, I was really impressed, but. Um, uh, Carl Walker was on stage as well, as was Cristiano Ronaldo. And they were all asked about Pep and his methods. And it was really, really skin crawling because Pep was st- sat in the front row staring at them. And, <laughs> and he was so unimpressed with all the answers. And they were just going, well, you know, yeah, he, he, he's really demanding, but, you know, he, he makes you a better player. And he was just sitting there going, yeah, get on with it, for God's sake. <laughs> he was so unimpressed. Like uh, any other manager in world football would at least have gone, like smiled quite, you know, humbly and gone yeah well, thanks very much or yeah keep it up lads but he was he was not bothered by any of this bullshit and fair play to him and and he went up in my estimation from that basis <laughs> so there we are yeah, i'd run through walls for you guys now after three years four years yeah there you go thanks for adjudication paneling today well done charlie eccleshire thank you thanks to you dave walker thank you thanks to everyone for listening we'll be back on tuesday have a good weekend 